Well, welcome to LifePoint today. Thank you so much for being here. If you're here for the first time, my name is Donnie Williams. I'm one of the pastors here, and we would love to meet you after the service. Just come down front on your way out and say hello. We're in the second week of a series called Fear Not. And what I'm going to be talking about today, I am sure that everybody in the room has dealt with. And if you haven't, you will. Or if you think you've gotten on top of it, I guarantee you've dealt with it in the past. In fact, I'm so sure of it, it's probably influenced decisions you've made even today. It influences daily decisions that we all make. Decisions about relationships, decisions about the things that we buy, how we spend our money, where we live, where we vacation, how we interact with others, how we fix our hair, not guys, of course, but how we, what we wear, who we hang out with. We are all influenced by what other people think. You've probably said this question to yourself or maybe even out loud. If I do this, what will they think? Being afraid of what other people think is a dangerous thing. Now, you, of course, you take others people, other people's feelings into consideration, but being afraid of what people think will, will drive you to do things you never wanted to do. Especially you teenagers sitting down here. You need to think about that. Being afraid of what other people think will drive you to do things that you never imagined you would do. So this whole series is about fear. And sometimes the fear that we deal with, last week we talked about the fear of what God might be calling us to do or asking us to do in our life. How do we deal with the fear of what other people may think of the way we live, of the decisions we make, of what we drive, where we go, how we parent our children? How do we deal with that? Last week we dealt with Mary's fear of when God appeared to her through an angel and said, I've got a job for you and you're, you're going to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit and you're going to give birth to the Savior of the world. And she took a huge step by simply saying, may what you've said about me come true. If we're ever going to listen to what God has for our lives and live in such a way that, that allows God to guide our lives and have direct influence over the decisions that we make, we are going to have to deal with the tension of, if I do this, what will people think about me? What will my mom and dad think? What will my family think? What will my close friends think about me if I do this? And if you've ever been there, you're there right now with a decision in front of you and you're paralyzed by the thoughts of what other people may think, I think today's story is going to help you. We're looking at when the angel appeared to Joseph. This whole series is going to look at three different episodes when angels appeared. One, Mary, we looked at last week. Two, Joseph today. And the next week we're going to look at what happened when the angels appeared to the shepherds. And each time those angels appeared, they said something, fear not, 
or don't be afraid. They said that for a couple of reasons. One, an angel is a scary thing. It did, angels didn't appear to people a lot in Scripture, but when they did, sometimes people just fell down like they were dead. It was so scary. An angel is not a fat baby with a heart floating in the clouds. An angel is a warrior of heaven. And so the reason they said, hey, hey, don't be afraid. One, they probably looked terrifying. And two, they had information for the people they visited from God that would hopefully motivate an action in their life. So we're going to look at Matthew chapter 1. It's one of the two books in the New Testament that tell the Christmas story, the book of Matthew and the book of Luke. We're going to look at Matthew's account of it. There are some Bibles coming down the aisles right now. If you don't have one, just raise your hand. The ushers will give you one of those. It's a gift to you if you'd like a Bible. If you'd like to borrow it, you can do that. Or you can also read along on the screen as I read from there in Matthew chapter 1. It says this, beginning in verse 18. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. So this is the first time Joseph appears on the scene, and it's clear he's already made a decision based on the news he had received. So when he heard Mary's going to have a baby, she says it's by the Holy Spirit, his decision was, okay, I'm just going to let this die down and be very quiet about it. I mean, they were engaged. They, they were, she was a teenager. He, he was young, not a whole lot older than her. He might have been a teenager himself. But engagement in that culture in that time was a lot different than engagement today. If you get engaged today, you give somebody a ring, you ask them to marry him, marry you, and sometimes people set a date, sometimes it's just, you know, out there somewhere. But it's, it's a serious commitment, but it's not a legally binding commitment. So if you want to break off an engagement, you know what you do? You just ask for the ring back. Hopefully you get it, guys, you know, if... You, know, you may not, so you're putting yourself out there. But if you break it off, no matter whose fault it is, you give the ring back, you cancel the date, and life goes on. Well, it was much different in the first century. In the first century, in that culture, if a couple was going to enter into this contract to marry, they started with getting approval from both sides of the family. That might knock like half the people in the room out, right? So they, you have to get approval from both sides of the family. That's phase one. And once that phase is over, then you enter into a legally binding contract. If, in fact, at that point, it was very much like what we would say, hey, they're married. Once you're married, once, once the, the pastor signs on the dotted line, that's what really makes you married in the eyes of the government. And so the pastor signs on the dotted line, we're married. You want to you reverse that? You got to go through divorce proceedings. Well, that is where they were in phase two. They weren't legally married yet, but they were so much in contract with one another. In phase two, if you wanted to break it off, you had to give a certificate of divorce. And so this phase could last anywhere up to an entire year. And at the end of that phase, what would happen is stage number three. You would have a ceremony. You would stand before God and your friends, and you would say your vows to each other, and on your wedding night, you would seal the deal, and then you were married. 
So based on where we read in the story, Joseph and Mary are in phase two. They're in this contract phase. They haven't quite consummated, they haven't consummated the marriage yet, but they're still, still legally bound to each other. So they're engaged. It's nearly official. And then Joseph finds out that his bride-to-be is pregnant, and he knows it's not him. Can you imagine that conversation? Hey, Joseph, funniest thing happened yesterday. Uh, this angel showed up and, and told me I was pregnant and that I was going to give birth uh, to the Son of God. And it, it says that Joseph was a righteous man. And so at this point, he has some choices. After he picks himself up off the floor, he's got a few choices. One, he can immediately have her dragged through the streets, taken to the door of her father's house and, house and stoned to death right there. He can just choose to humiliate her publicly. Or he can just quietly give her a certificate of divorce and they are finished. And it appears from this section of scripture that what he had chosen to do was just divorce her and just quietly do it and totally start over. And he has to be dealing with, if, if I stay with her, what would people think? This is not good. People die for this. If he stays with her, it's not like he can just say, yeah, I got engaged back there and I got the ring back. It was a mistake. I shouldn't have done it. She went out and got pregnant and, and so we didn't get married. It's not like that. It's also seen as a failure on his part. So if he puts her away in divorce, it doesn't mean his life is all better now because it would be very hard to find a father who would give his daughter to a guy that had gotten that far into a marriage contract and ended it in divorce. It was a reflection on him. And so clearly for a moment, he wants out. He wants out of the contract and he's made the decision. I, I'm, I'm not going to stay in this. And so he's thinking through it all and he falls asleep. In verse 20, it says this, as he considered this, divorcing her, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins." So what Joseph is doing is weighing the pros and cons, and then he falls asleep. I mean, he has to be wondering, all right, is she telling the truth here? I mean, is, if this is true, I am going to get to raise the Son of God. And the angel says, here's what you're supposed to name him, and he's going to rescue people from their sins. So he starts to think, okay, what should I do? And the angel says, don't be afraid. Go ahead and take Mary as your wife. And then he wakes up and he has to be thinking, what just happened? What just happened here? Everybody else is probably saying, Joe, man, run for your life. Are you crazy? What are you thinking? And he has a choice. Do I do what people want or what God is asking? And that is a tension 
that many of us deal with. Do I do what God wants or do I do what I think is going to please the people around me? That's going to make them speak highly of me. That's going to make them think I'm wise. Or do I do what I really believe that God is calling me to do? If you're taking notes, you want to write this down. Becoming obsessed with what people think of you is the fastest way to forget what God thinks of you. See, we drift in our lives towards pleasing others. Am I doing the right thing? Are people going to like me? I struggle with this. I do. Because I have to stand up in front of a lot of people every week and and lead a lot of people. and, And I have to really deal with this tension inside of me, not just to try to please people. And, and sometimes I, it really gets heavy. Like, if, if I just tell three jokes and everybody laughs, they're going to really like me. That would be great. And I have to think, okay, am I just trying to make people laugh? Or, or does it really make sense? Or, you know, what if I just say something I'm not supposed to say? And it just comes out because I'm not perfect. And so people look at a pastor's life and think, well, it's perfect, right? You live a very modest life. You, you make sure everything's modest. You make sure, that, you, you make sure that you drive the right thing and live in the right thing and raise your kids the right way and treat your wife the right way. And if you just do that, everything's perfect because, hey, you just have to work one day a week. How hard could it be? It's two, okay? One day a week. But all of us deal with that tension at some point in our lives. What do others think? And becoming obsessed with that will cause you to forget about what God thinks about you and what God is calling you to do and wants you to do. But the flip side of that statement is true as well. Becoming obsessed with what God thinks of you is the fastest way to forget about what people think about you. See, living for God's approval gets us past seeking the approval of others. You cannot please everyone. Who's figured that out in life? You can't. No matter how good you are, no matter how great you are, whatever your craft is, you can't please everyone. Stop trying to do that. It will wear you out emotionally and even physically trying to live a life of just pleasing every single person. But one thing you can do, because you can't please everybody, but you can please God. You can. Scripture makes that clear. See, when we choose to live a life that pleases God rather than just seeking to please people, you have to expect a few things. One of those things would be that, is that you will be criticized. Because when you live for God, not everybody will like it. Can you imagine Joseph's friends? Hey, Joseph, man, come on, what are you thinking? You're still going to marry this woman? You know whose donkey I saw parked in front of her house? I mean, come on. <laughs> Think about it, buddy. You're re- and you're, you're buying that story? You really think that? Sometimes obeying God means disappointing people. Some people won't understand what you're doing. Some people won't agree with what you're doing. 
And, and maybe you're just checking out church and you're thinking, what do you mean obeying God? How do I even know what God wants me to do? Is an angel going to appear to me in a dream? Is an angel going to show up somewhere in front of me and tell me what to do? No, that's most likely not going to happen in your life. If God wanted to, it would. But it's most likely not going to happen. So how do I know what God's asking me to do? What kind of life I'm supposed to live? What kind of decisions I'm supposed to make? Oh, it's all made really clear. When you look into his word and the guidance that comes from it. So if my, if my struggle is the way I spend my money, I want to make sure I please people. God's word tells us how to spend our money. If you're letting your relationships be driven by what other people think, God's word is very clear about how relationships should work. If you're struggling with the, the idea of, well, when, when is sex and how should it happen and, 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 and what, what, how is this supposed to fit into life? If you got questions about that, if you're single or even if you're married, you got questions about that, even that is talked about in God's word. So if you need guidance about any life issue, all you have to do is learn what God's will is for your life. He'll even, this will even reveal to you like your schedule and, and your future. What, what am I supposed to do in the future? Now we think, okay, God, tell me which city I'm supposed to live in. Tell me which major I'm supposed to have. Tell me which person I'm supposed to marry. That's not the way it works. See, major decisions, here's what you have to think. Instead of, God, which place do you want me to live? God, which place will help me be the closest to you I can possibly be? Which person will guide me deeper into relationship with you? Which way will, when I spend my money, which way will help me display generosity and yet being able to enjoy all that you have for me? I can remember when I first decided to follow Christ. I was a college kid and, and I was really involved in some bad stuff, typical college kid stuff. And so like the week after, my friends are like, you did what? What? What are you talking about? I mean, I was like the life of the party. I was, I was fun to be around. People enjoyed my company. And so I can remember my friends saying, come on, go out. Let's go party. Come on, it's Thursday night. We got to go. And I'm like, I don't do that anymore. What? No, I don't. Come on, man, be a backsliding Baptist with us tonight. Come on, you can do it. And I would say, okay, two things. One, I'm not a Baptist. Two, my life is different. It's changed. I met Jesus, and now he is influencing the decisions I make. I still want to be your friend, but I'm not going to engage in that behavior anymore. And there's also times when, not just externally, but sometimes God is working in you through your emotions, and you see a mission trip advertised, and you're like, I've got to do that no matter what it costs, because that could change me, and I've seen that change people over and over and over again. Maybe when you see an opportunity to be generous, something stirs inside of you, and you think, I've got to get in on that, and maybe you leave a secure job for something of significance to make an even bigger difference, that people may look at you and say, that's the dumbest decision I've ever heard. If you want to live your life free of criticism from others, just do, don't do anything. Don't stand for anything and don't do anything. But if you want to live a life that pleases God, 
be ready to be criticized. Because you'll spend your money differently, you'll work differently, you'll treat your boss differently, you'll treat your employees differently, you'll treat your husband and your wife differently. You, like living a life that's influenced and driven by what God thinks, young ladies, it will, it will change the way you dress. It, it will change your level of modesty. Instead of dressing like, hey boys, come and get it, it will change and you'll dress like, hey, I am a woman of God. Guys, it will change the way you treat women. It will. It'll change the way you respect them. It'll change the way you see them not only as a physical object, but a person of God. It will cause you to treat them with respect. It'll cause you to treat everybody differently when you allow God to drive your decisions. And you're concerned about what he thinks and not what other people think. Trying to please others, trying to live to please others will paralyze you with fear and only take you places you regret. Being driven by pleasing God won't do that. I can remember when, a little over a year ago, when we first started talking about our third campus, it's coming up uh, in nine months, nine months, LifePoint in Wake Forest will be born. I can remember when we first started talking about that. And Joel, our worship and arts pastor, he and I started talking about it. And, and I can remember I struggled so much with him being the leader of that campus because I knew he could do it, but I also knew what he did and other thing he did that was awesome. And that's leading us in worship. And I, I, was, I was scared to death and driven by, well, what do people think? What if people come just because they like that? What if, what if they, you know, what if it's about that? Man, that guy's great at music and he's great at leading a band. What, what if that's why some people come to our church? And that's okay for a little while. You just can't stay there. And, and I was worried. About, it took me almost 12 months to work through that and say, you know what? I don't care. It doesn't matter. This is the way God is clearly calling us to reach more people. That's what the decision is. What decision can we make as leaders to reach more people? And that was it. And that's why we decided he's going to lead that. Somebody else is going to lead the music part. And everything's going to be okay because we're making a decision that we believe as leaders is driven by God. Joseph had to wrestle with that same idea. Do I do what God's asking me to do? Or do I do what all my friends probably want me to do? So then he goes ahead and he marries Mary. And when I'm driven by what God thinks instead of what other people think, extraordinary things can happen in my life. In Joseph's life, if, if he decides, yes, I'm going to marry her, he's going to get to raise the Savior of the world. He's going to get to hold baby Jesus, the Messiah, whom he would have known about because he was a righteous man. He would have known the scriptures. He would have known the prophecies. He would have known all of that. And so he's struggling with this decision. There's not a lot of details about Joseph's life. In fact, he only appears at three different episodes in the New Testament. But listen to what happened in verse 24. It says, when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. That one 
small act of obedience. One little thing, just saying, okay, I'm afraid. Yes, I'm worried about what people think, but I'm not going to let that drive me. I'm going to do what God is asking me to do. It's the same for us. I've heard story after story of people who now know Jesus that simply responded to somebody saying, hey, would you come to church with me? Hey, you want to know a little bit, you know, in a conversation, know a little bit more about why I believe what I believe? I've seen a simple act of service get someone connected to God. And somebody's generosity with their money open up a whole new blessing in their life they never anticipated. See, remember from last week, if you were here, the outcome is not our responsibility. It's God. Here's why this is all so important. That we understand that we need to be driven by what God thinks. Some of you are living a life right now where you are driven by what other people think. It's what wakes you up in the morning. It's what makes you make the decisions that you make. And when I read this section of Scripture, I'm challenged to think, what would my life be like if, like Joseph, I conquered those fears of what others thought and I simply started to ask the question, what would God want me to do here? How would my relationships look different? How would my finances look different? How would my career look different or my, my school? How would all that look different if that's what started to drive me rather than what do people think? What, what might they think if I did this or that? Now, you might be new to church, just checking out God, just trying to figure out, is this for me or not? And my encouragement to you is just keep coming because becoming obsessed with what people think of you is the fastest way to forget about what God thinks about you and God thinks you're great God thinks you were born with amazing potential to have a huge impact on the world I want to please that not somebody that thinks I should live differently or buy differently or speak differently. I don't, I don't want to please that. I don't want to be driven by that. I want to be driven by someone who thinks I can actually make a difference in the world. May you conquer the fear of being driven by what other people think and be driven by what God thinks about you. Let's pray. God, thank you for this reminder through the story of Joseph that no matter what other people think, we need to be driven by what you think. God, we know that you have great plans for each of our lives and may, may that guide us, may it drive us, may it drive every decision in life. And I pray this in your son's name, amen.